welcome to A Paradox Life. We're two doctors, living large, living small. We're talking about our experiences, things we know a lot about, and things we're completely clueless about. Hopefully, it's going to be entertaining and help all of us know a little bit more about this paradox life. Hi, this is Dr. Mark Beatty. And this is Dr. Laura Beatty. And this is Paradox Life. So on um, today's episode, we're going to learn and discover a little bit more about Dr. Laura Beatty and her life and development into the position that she's become. Exciting. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I know a little bit about this, so hopefully <laughs> I can, I can uh, direct us along an interesting pathway. Um, Laura, I think maybe more than anyone else I know, knew from very early on that she wanted to be a physician, which I found kind of fascinating. So why don't we start with the beginning? Tell me a little bit more about that and uh, what those childhood dreams and aspirations felt like. I remember, I think most kids go through wanting to be a teacher because that's one of our first influential people in our lives or our teachers. Except so for remember, our kid who wanted to be a helicopter she pilot. She want to be a helicopter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, I do remember going through a phase of wanting to be a teacher. I also remember going through a phase of wanting to be a writer, but I definitely at some point and I just guess because there are no physicians, not really many educated people in my family at all. Um, so I don't know where it came from. I'm just guessing that my grandmother, who was a big inspiration for me at some point, said, you can be anything. You can even be a doctor. And I probably just held on to that. And I did have fond feelings for my doctor, doctors growing up. So she had a report card where had we had to write in what we were going to be when we grew up and so in second grade I wrote I was going to be a doctor so you know that's kind of the joke is that I knew I wanted to be a doctor since second grade I definitely focused on it in um by by middle school I knew I was strong in the sciences and had done well enough and impressed a few science teachers so that was that was a strong focus at that point I'm not sure that um, that, you know, third, fourth and fifth and sixth grade, I was absolutely, you know, just head down. I'm going to be a doctor, but, but probably by high school, I was, my goal was to go to college and go to medical school. Yeah. And, um, I think you had quite a few challenges to get there. You already mentioned a couple of them that you didn't really have anyone in your family that had been to college before or, uh, could direct you, uh, as to what, how to accomplish some of these things. So talk about how you overcame some of that and what the resources were that you turned to, to, to get yourself set up to even start down the pathway. I'm not sure I know all of them. I think just some, some fortunate luck and, uh, and some ambition, but I do, uh, I had a very strong relationship with my grandmother. She was always a source of inspiration and encouragement and, unconditional love that I think a lot of kids need to 
to really be able to nurture uh, themselves if they grow up in a dis, you know, unfortunate or dysfunctional uh, environment. So for me, we were poor, certainly. I am the first person from my family, as you know, to graduate high school. Definitely the first person to graduate college. My daughter will probably be the second person in my family to graduate college. Many of my family members have now graduated high school and have taken college classes, but mm -hmm. uh, at least on my mother's side of the family, I don't believe anyone else yet has gotten a degree. So hopefully we're going to break that cycle with our daughter, Ava. Um, so that was one challenge, certainly. I was living with my grandparents for a big chunk of my uh, early life. And my grandfather, who was very smart, but he he dropped out of school in fourth grade, which mm -hmm. is just remarkable to me. My grandmother dropped out at sixth grade. So I, it was very, it, it, it came around pretty quickly that I was coming home with homework that nobody could help me do. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that was a challenge and I so, don't know so how did I you, overcame Well, that. I was just going to ask, so did you reach out to, was it friends or were there some key teachers along the way or uh, a combination, probably a combination of all of the above? Combination of all of the, but I think there were key teachers. I think there were teachers that certainly recognized that what I went home to was a little more challenging and maybe, um, maybe passed on a little bit of extra time uh, dedicated to me in various classes. That, I don't think that was always true, but there were years where that was true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, much like our daughter, every year it seemed I would have one teacher that would really inspire me and just sort of make me want to do a little bit more or be a little bit better or study a little bit harder. Uh, and I was a kid that read a lot, so I just honestly, some things I just, even pre-internet, you can figure things out on your own through little research time and trial and error. So I think I did a fair amount of that uh, as I grew up. Yeah. And then as it turned out, you ended up going through kind of a accelerated pathway through medical school and or undergraduate school and into medical school and all of that. So um, talk did. a little bit about that. And uh, you know, what, what inspired you to choose that path and, uh, and, and what that was like? Well, I think you've recognized this through our years of marriage that I am a very goal oriented person. And I, you know, whether it's reading, uh, my book club book or having my project list, it's hard for me to, to break that cycle. Even if I don't have to be goal oriented, I have to have, I have to have something dangling out there. Uh, so going to medical school was my big carrot. Obviously, the first part of that was getting into college and coming from um, a background of having no one in my family who had gone to college before me. That that in and of itself was a little bit challenging. I only applied to our four-year un university that was close to home, close to Paducah, Kentucky, which was Murray State University. I was never called in for college counseling, so I didn't get anything from my high school as far as what I needed to do. I just kind of figured that out through friends and through my um, boyfriend at the time who actually was in college, and that was helpful. But I do remember getting accepted and finding out many years later that most of my um, 
peers at that time that went to the same school all got scholarships, but I never did, even though I probably was the most need-based and, and still had done so well in high school, but I was never called in for college counseling. So I didn't fill out any of those forms to have access to that need. I was poor enough to get some grants, which was kind of nice, um, but I worked through college and uh, was able to, through loans and grants and working, pay for it myself. And I definitely remember showing up at Murray and it was the gymnasium and they had all the booths set up and just not, just feeling so out of place and out of sorts and not knowing who I should see or what I should ask. But I'm sure to some extent, all of the kids feel that way. It just felt like I felt it more. Uh, but I was directed to my advisor and he's like, all right, you want to go to med school? He was a very stoic guy and he just kind of handed me a list of classes. This is what you need to sign up for. So that's what I signed up for. <laughs> right, right. But then you uh, then you were able to access kind of the accelerated program as well, which is interesting. I mean, I think Murray may be one of the few places where that even exists. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate. Murray has a uh, still a very strong science um, program and we have a strong record of getting uh, the science kids into the Kentucky medical schools and probably medical schools across the country, but definitely into the Kentucky medical schools. And I um, focused head down on science and was able to do this summer program called HCOP, Health Career Opportunity Program, where you spend a summer at a medical school, take a class as a medical student, um, tour, see, I mean, I remember seeing an autopsy, getting to see some really interesting things, ma making sure it was the right place. And then if you finished that program and had the right GPA, you were allowed to apply to medical school before you even got your degree. So I, I had all of my prereqs for medical school, but I still was missing uh, 12 hours of classes to actually get um, my, my bachelor's degree. Right. But upshot being that the girl who's the first one to attend college from her entire family blows through undergraduate school in three years, and you're now accepted to medical school and going even sooner than many of your peers who had gotten into undergraduate school at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you kind of had this rapidly uh, accelerating process. So um, let's take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Laura Beatty about her experience in medical school and beyond, and uh, turning all of this into being the physician that she is. This episode of A Paradox Life is brought to you by Beatty Facial Plastic Surgery, Atlanta's destination for outstanding injectable results. Our expert injectors, Dr. Mark Beatty, Dr. Celeste Nagy, and Gary Washington, nurse practitioner, have collectively over 40 years experience providing injectable services to patients with fillers and neurotoxins, assuring you are in the best hands for your injectable treatments. And today we're talking with Laura about her 
pathway through growing up and her early desire to become a physician and the way that she did that. And when we left off before the break, um, we had just finished getting her out of undergraduate <laughs> school at an accelerated pace. And so now the young, soon-to-be Dr. Beatty shows up at University of Kentucky Medical School. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think we went through some of that when we talked about you and I meeting and how we got together, but medical school was great. It was great fun. It was a lot of work, but um, I enjoyed it immensely, was able to uh, graduate, fortunately. And now that was, this was the first time you really were at a major university though, right? True. I mean, was yeah. it, I, I mean, I think, you know, it's a small school, but I mean, it's still, you know, yeah. it's, it's a state university with a, with a respected campus, but yes, from a, from a large campus, although med school is different. I mean, we have only a hundred kids in our class, so it still felt pretty intimate. And when, you know, being a medical student, you're still a bit separate from the college. And I didn't do my prereqs there like you did. So I never really became all that immersed into the bigger campus life. I certainly right. went to some of the basketball games and had a blast and went to Keeneland, the horse races and had a blast, but mostly it was, it was med school parties and med school people and um, and being in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But it was good. Yes, I finished. Yay. I it, became a physician. Nice. It, Fell in love. It, <laughs> indeed. Well, uh, talk a little bit about med school. What were the things that you liked, didn't like? Um, you know, because it, it, it is a very diverse experience. People who haven't been through it, you have to recognize that there's a very didactic, clinical part of the training or non-clinical part of the training and then there is being in the hospital and kind of being the you know the junior most member of the clinical team so it mm -hmm. really covers a lot of ground and i mean i think i really came into my own as a physician much more in residency than in med school in med school it still felt a little bit outside of my comfort zone even when i was a third and fourth year and seeing patients and wearing my little short white coat and trying to present myself as a, a, with a position of authority. I, I, I was faking it all the way. Um, I don't know if that was true for you, but it certainly felt true for me. I did not feel, I remember very much at one point walking in and seeing uh, in a pediatrics rotation and I was supposed to be the student that was seeing this child for an exam and then you report it back to your your doctor, your, your proctor, and then and then you, you all go in together. And I walk in and it was a doctor's kid and I flipped out. I had to leave the room. So <laughs> I certainly did not feel confident um, along the way. But the confidence grew, it built years of, of studying and kind of doing, um, getting that under your feet that that you are the expert in the room it just takes a while yeah to believe that and yeah. to feel it and to admit it yeah so what was your favorite part of medical school do you think uh probably uh, meeting this guy that was really cool and <laughs> <laughs> outside of that what was your favorite part of the training of the uh, I, I mean i really loved um i really loved medicine i really loved 
I did not enjoy surgery. I did not enjoy scrubbing in. I did not like many parts of that. I recently went to see a surgery that you performed and several of my friends and Ava's friends were shocked that it was 28 years later and I'm finally going to see a surgery with you. But I just didn't like surgery. I still yeah. don't particularly love surgery. So I like the interaction with patients. I did like the hospital scene, but that ended up not being where I went. I went more outpatient medicine, obviously. Right, right. What was your least favorite class? Uh, biochemistry. Okay, I'll buy that. that I, I, that's a popular answer. I bet you that would get a 50% hit rate. In. All right. So medical school uh, winding down, and then you have to take the next step in training, so, which is residency. So this is another you know, set of clinical years. So talk a little bit about your process with that. That one was sort of decided for me because you were already graduated. We had fallen in love. You were in Iowa, and um, we worked it out so that I, University of Kentucky allowed me to do several of my medical school electives so that I could even be with you part-time my fourth year. Still, of course, came home to graduate from Kentucky and then did my three-year family medicine residency at Iowa. Uh, it was a great program. I thought it was um, very good. I wanted to do MedPeds, but they did not have that program at Iowa. Family medicine was um, the next Mm -hmm. best choice for me. And I think in the long run, it ended up being a, a great choice. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I think I'm very good at what I do. I'm a very uh, broad thinker, which you need to be in primary care. I think you have to um, be comfortable with a little bit of your lack of knowledge as well as knowing who to turn to and when, but you also have to be very confident in your breadth of, mm -hmm. um, of knowledge and that you can pretty much handle anything that walks into the room for at least, a, you know, for long enough to make sure there's a good outcome. Very, very true. I mean, the scope is, is incredibly broad. It's everything in medicine. So, um, so we finished with uh, residency training and um, then end up in Atlanta. That was largely because of me too. That was uh, where my fellowship training ended up being. Uh, and you took a job with one well of the, started. yeah, mm -hmm. one of the local major Which is um, good because companies. if we were supporting ourselves on your salary, we yeah, would have would have living in a box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty true. So it was true. nice to actually have a, have a decent salary. It was good. So, um, so yes, worked, um, worked for Wellstar for close to seven years and then decided at that point that primary care, while I enjoyed it, I was not satisfied with the way that I, I was kind of put in a box. And it's still true today that you're forced to practice, forced to see a certain number of patients. It feels like you're spending very little time actually interacting with the patient, a lot of time dealing with medical records and insurance problems. Um, and there was this wave starting from out west called concierge medicine where i uh, now of course it's commonplace it's everywhere it's certainly in all major cities but at that time it was not so i started looking into it and then with your support of course and at that point you had a salary decided to take a leap and left um left Wellstar and started my own practice from the ground up in 
2004, at which time the, they, we had a, a clinic in town called the Taylor High Clinic that was doing a little bit of a hybrid where they had a small percentage of their patients that were paying a fee outside of insurance for extra right. red, red carpet treatment, but no full-time concierge-only practice. So I was the first full-time concierge doc in Atlanta. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, Taylor High had some organizational help from elsewhere. And this truly was your baby that you yeah, built from the from the uh, from the ground up. So uh, that which became quite a well-known and successful and truly fabulous practice in town. So talk talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think it's um, yeah, it's a huge accomplishment. Sure. So from 2004 through 2018, it was, um, it was my, my, my first baby, if you will. And Ava, our second mm -hmm. <laughs> in my world, that's the way it was anyway. So that was my business. I, uh, I, I grew it. I still have a number of patients that follow me even here today from that practice that won't, won't let me go. Um, um, most because I, I did sell that practice and left that model and, um, don't offer the same concierge level of service. Most have, uh, stayed with that practice that I sold or found other physicians doing similar things. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was great. It's just, it was, it was time for me to, to do something different when I left, but it was fabulous. So, right. It was, and it's neat to kind of be the grandmother of concierge medicine in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what was in closing for that chapter, what was it about the kind of relationships that you could foster with those patients that made it so much better, not just for your patients, clearly it made it better for your patients, but I think it made it better for you too. Well, a lot and, of people will ask, okay, and, and we could even do a whole uh, podcast on concierge medicine mm -hmm. and, and what the differences are and how my experience um, was. But I think a lot, the, one of the things that most people ask is, did, didn't the patients drive you crazy? I mean, weren't you getting calls and, and re weird requests all the time? And the answer was no, it was quite the opposite. Patients would learn my routine. They knew my life. They would they would wait until a respectful period of time to call me and ask me for something unless it was a true emergency. So 15 years of doing that type of medicine and, and I could count on one hand how many times I felt like I was being abused. It just yeah. didn't happen. It really yeah. was a relationship practice and that meant the world to me. And I do think it allowed me more time to make a difference in people's health outcomes. I have no doubt that's true. And I think the thing I saw with you is that you, you just found the relationships to be much more gratifying and much more complete than when you were with Wellstar and were just, you know, grinding through 40 patients a day. It's really hard. It was... you, you don't know, you, you're using your chart to remember details about them because you have not been able to spend that amount of time with them. You, um, the insurance would change. They would immediately change their doctor because you weren't on the panel. People had more right. loyalty to their hairdresser than to their physician. And in a concierge medicine practice, that's, that's yeah. not true. You really do have the time to develop a relationship. And I think that's the most important part. 
Yeah. Well, it was certainly an incredible job and a very impressive uh, practice to have built up. So that's uh, it for today. That was an overview of Dr. Laura Beatty and her career development journey through. And I'm sure we'll touch back on some of these things in future episodes. But that was fun chatting through that. And uh, we'll look forward to talking with all of you guys again soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Paradox Life. We are a paradox, talking about a lot of paradoxes. <laughs> Is that plural? I don't know. I think anyway, it's paradoxi. <laughs> paradoxi. Thanks for listening and join us again soon when we will talk about more things that we know only a little bit about. 